We go go finish clothing as a metaphor of righteousness. We started talking about Joshua and we I want I hopefully when preaching that we make this applicable we make these things applicable to us. As he said, what I say to one, I say to all. So we all trying to be types of Christ. We don't know the position we hold. There's a vocation we have in Christ Jesus, but all of us should do the work of evangelists, so we should fit in crying loud and sparing not. And we was at the 46th chapter of Isaiah, closing it off, and he says, Hearken unto me, you stout-hearted that are far from righteousness. I bring near my righteousness, it shall not be far off. My salvation shall not tarry, and I will place salvation in Zion. For Israel is my glory. God stated the fact there, there's always those that are rejecting God's word, rebelling against God's word. But as he was sending Cyrus and he imputed his righteousness unto him to do a thing, when God gives us his righteousness, what that is, that's a judicial proclamation that He's placed this on us like with Job. Judicially, God said that Job was a perfect and upright man that was blameless. Well, God looks at us and views us through the blood of Jesus Christ, which is the only way we can stand before God. That's how we boldly go to the throne of grace of God that is covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. I link that in with Zechariah. The third chapter when Joshua was standing before the high priest and Satan stood there and the Lord and the, and the angel says, And the Lord said unto Satan, The Lord rebuked thee, O Satan. Even the Lord that had chosen Jerusalem rebuked thee. The, not, is this not a brand plucked out of the fire? Uh, now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and stood before the angel. And he answered and spake unto those that stood before him, saying, Take away the filthy garments from him, and up unto him he said, Behold, I have caused thine iniquity to pass from thee, and I will clothe thee with a change of raiment. And I said, Let them set a fire mitre upon his head, so that a set, and, and so they set a fair mitre upon his head, and clothed him with garments. And the angel of the Lord stood by, and the angel of the Lord protested unto Joshua, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, If thou wilt walk in my ways, and if thou wilt keep my charge, then thou shalt also judge my house, and shalt also keep my courts, and I will give thee places to walk among these that stand by. Hear now, O Joshua the high priest, thou and thy fellows that sit before thee, for they are men wondered at. For behold, I will bring forth my servant the branch. For before the stone that was laid before Joshua upon one stone shall be seven eyes. Behold, I will engrave that I will engrave the graving thereof, saith the Lord of hosts. And I will remove the iniquity of that land in one day. So we hear Joshua being hurled accusations are hurled before God by Satan at Joshua saying that he's not worthy to stand. He's not equipped. Look at the garment he has on. You know, dung, we 
sees this as dung covered covered garments. Garments that in no way was that becoming of a priest of God. But God was the one, the Lord of hosts says, He take away thine iniquity. He clothed thee with the clothing of righteousness. He provided these garments as I spoke of I think it was in Matthew or Luke about the wedding supper whereas the king provided the garments, the robes to wear, to put on. And that's where we was in the uh, discussing last time. Clothing as a metaphor for righteousness. Some people reject Cyrus having the righteousness of God, of being God's anointed. Here a pagan king and they try to class Cyrus with all the other kings. They'll try to do that with us, with you also. But there's no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus and that we need to put on Christ and continually to pull off the old man. This is something we do. We see that Joshua was giving a charge and he says that if thou will walk in his ways, if you will walk in my ways and if thou will keep my charge... And just like he charged Timothy before God, God charges us to a certain standard to bear. So we have something to do. It's not necessarily that God does it all, but it's in the sake of that it has been done, but we make choices and those choices actuate the word of God in our life. Actuation, in other words, it brings it to life. It makes it effective in our lives by doing, being doers of the Word of God. So listen at how Paul put it in the book of Galatians, the third chapter, 27 to the 28 verse. He says, For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For ye are all one in Christ Jesus. We all are the same. Uh, it's similar. Uh, our constitution tried to mimic this some when it says all men are created equal. But God means what he say, whereas the founders of the constitution may have been a little bit hypocritical in what they were saying and in what they were doing. But God means what he says. We are all one in him, and there shouldn't be a variance of difference in either of us. So God initially installs the new man, and it is our responsibility. It is up to us to nourish that new man that God has installed in us. Through what? The circumcision of the heart. He gives a new heart. We're a new creation in Christ Jesus. If we don't physically eat and physically eat the right nutrients, our body will devolve or degenerate, and it wouldn't be as strong and as vital as it should be. Same thing is applicable in the spiritual world. If we don't assimilate God's Word, if we don't talk and converse with God, if we don't pray to God, if we don't actually live and do what, uh, be obedient to God's word, we won't be spiritually as strong as we should be. And you'll be as some of the Christian churches that 
Paul was speaking to in the book of Corinthians and the book of that the writer of Hebrews spoke to that they wasn't worthy, they, they wasn't able to eat the strong meat of the word and that he had to feed them with the milk of the word because they were children, they were yet carnal, they were not able to receive it. When in time they should have been teachers, they had the need of someone teach them again what be the doctrines of the oracles of God. It is clear from various scriptures that he is manifested in our conduct. Our personal characteristics or traits manifest God in us because we should be in His image and in His likeness. So as we put on Christ, that He is reconciled to God and man. That He is reconciled to God and man. So God was in Christ reconciling the world unto Himself. That He is bringing back into a right relationship. You remember I told you about forgiveness and different aspects of this that you can forgive and sometimes there's no reconciliation. There's no fellowship. In other words, you still keep the distance. You may forgive someone, but you may not ever have a, a trade with that person or trust that person anymore or whatever, but you forgave them. But with forgiveness of, with God, he manifests, uh, he makes it so that we are reconciled, we are put back in a proper relationship with him. There are those that are not being clothed in Christ. In other words, pulling off the old man that converses and loves and do the works of the world. And those are the ones that he said he never knew. In other words, he never had a relationship even though they did good works, they did different things, they wasn't reconciled with God. They wasn't put back in a proper relationship with Him. Now, the, that we are circumcised of heart. That's, that's the necessary thing, that we have the Spirit that circumcises us, that gives us a new heart. That's the installation of the new man, that circumcision. That He is connected with the new covenant that much better covenant in Christ Jesus that was better than the old covenant because it was weak through the flesh. But this covenant, as we come up on partaking of the table this weekend, this coming Sunday, huh? You will be here Saturday? You worked the election. Okay, so let's say Sunday. Okay, so this coming Sunday we'll partake of the table and what happens is that that was the new covenant that he instituted and that's the memorial that keeps us in memory of Christ Jesus of what he's done for us or whatever. And that, so we're taking part of the blood of the new covenant. In other words, his body that was broken for us and his blood that was shed for us. Finally, that he adopting him is a matter of choice on our part. In other words, we're saying that we, he didn't choose us. He chose us. We didn't choose him. But even though he chose us, we have to, in fact, each and every day of our life, choose him and reject the world. It's by mortifying the deeds of the flesh, yielding our bodies unto righteousness instead of unrighteousness. Yeah. So what we have to do is put off the old man. 
And part of that thing where people can see is to be clothed with humility. To be clothed with humility. Uh, in the book of First Peter, the fifth chapter, in the fifth verse, it says, Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. For God resisted the proud and giveth grace to the humble. That should be preached, I don't know how many times, yearly in this nation, to this nation, because it's a proud nation. Humility and humbleness is not a characteristic of the people of this nation. It has given me a little hope in the past years that I've grown stronger in God to see that God's working and that those that that remnant that he saved may not be visible to all as it was to Elijah when he said he was the only one that was serving the Lord, but the body of Christ is so scattered, but he's going to bring it back and remove the iniquity of the nation. He has to remove the iniquity of this nation. It's a very iniquitous nation. It's a presumptuous nation. We're bound by presumptuous people all around us. Peter addresses presumption by starting with the younger people. Just as young people are supposed to submit to their elders, so are we to submit in whatever positions we are in. That's why he says submit one to another. But we don't see the suppositions of the young people submitting nowadays. That's a trait that he said that he would bring back with the spirit of Elijah when he said, He'll send Elijah, and he was meaning the spirit of Elijah. You remember he told them, says that Elijah had already come to those that are willing to receive. So that spirit is going out into the world just like the spirit of righteousness. He's pouring it out to those who receive it, who choose to receive it and build upon it. He says the spirit of Elijah turned the hearts of the fathers back to the sons and the hearts of the sons to the fathers. So there's a relationship building, a building back of the family to those that are in Christ Jesus, that are clothing themselves with Christ Jesus. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another. So Peter broadens the instructions from younger people submitting to the elder until all of us be submission submissive to one another. Like I said, this nation is woefully way away from that. And that's the problem with this nation. And their pride and their arrogance won't allow them to see that. And that's why I say coming up on communion when we should examine ourselves. God's word should help us to thoroughly reflect and examine ourselves to see where we are lacking at and that we really need him and that we have to cry up unto him to change us and to help us pull off this old man. It is not just whether you are younger than another person or that you are in a lesser position than another person. It says all of you be submissive to all of you. In other words, each this is a reciprocal action of the people of God. If this the way it was, it would be a much better nation, a better community, city, and people all around. It would be a better world. 
if we had those traits. Those are traits and characteristics of Jesus Christ in which his people will do. His people will do that. It's, it's one another, whatever rank, whatever position, whether you are a toenail, a foot, or arm, you're all part of the body, and we all should submit to one another and be clothed with humility. Not only are we to submit, but we are to do it humbly. You know, some people do things, but sometimes when they do it, they do it condescendingly. They do it heartily or arrogantly. They have different ways of getting in line. It's not in with the characteristics of Jesus Christ. A lot of times we do it with mumbling and complaining. We do it with mumbling and complaining. We should have it draped fully over us because that, that attitude is that will keep down presumptuous. Presumptuous people are always looking inward at self and thinking themselves more highly than other people. And those are the ones that God resists. It says, God resists the proud. And God more or less fights against the proud. God fights to humble the proud. And we remember every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord. Whether willingly or forcibly, he chastens and he mocks every son. He scourges each son that he receives. But sometimes some he takes out of life. Sometimes, like I said, that goes along with obedient, being obedient and knowing to do right and to concede to what that is right. This passage gives us an antidote then. It gives us something to fight against presumption. That is submitting, one, being humble, two, and waiting for God to exalt us. If God exalts us, to a position, or God puts us in a place. Uh, I was listening at the election last night with my brother. He's in Georgia, so he was an hour ahead of us. He lives in Georgia after they voted, and I was telling them, you know, I was how close I was following him. You didn't have to wait in line two minutes or 30 minutes. You know, nothing, nothing, the longest wait was 30 minutes in some counties, but the average wait was two minutes because. The ones who voted earlier had to wait in line longer than the ones who voted the day of election. But as the returns was coming in, we were looking at the returns, and then uh, Raphael Warnock came on to give his uh, speech at about 11 o'clock, I guess it was, uh, 11.15 hour time. I told my brother, I said, you need to go and go to bed because he had to get up and work with the church this morning of handing out food and stuff. But in his concession speech, you know, and he's a pastor and he was talking about God and he was talking about his mother, that his mother was present with him last night, that he was, she was at the victory party there with him last night and everything. And he says, she was raised in the 50s. His mother grew up picking other people's cotton. His mother grew up picking other people's tobacco. You know, Georgia, North Carolina, those areas are big tobacco producers and produce cotton and so forth. And he said tonight she has helped pick her youngest son 
to be a senator of the United States of America and showed his humble roots where he began from and that God had exalted him to a position just as Barack Obama was talking and Michelle Obama was talking about the blacks that had helped build the White House who would ever think that one day we would live in the White House. So God exalts a nation and God also humbles a nation. While exalting some, he has to humble others. He said, uh, Warnock was saying that his mother and father really believed in the Bible saying be fruitful and multiply because he was the youngest of 12 children. (laughs) But in his speech he was saying and you can you can tell his humbleness is down the earth by being a late leader and a pastor of the people. He says you have to live and walk among the people. And it made me think about Jesus Christ who ate with sinners, who was down with the people of everyday thing. And the Pharisees that says this man is a friend of sinners and he goes to eat with sinners. But he was lowly and that's what we seek to be, lowly. He took upon himself the form of a servant and he washed his disciples' feet. God commands us to be clothed with humility and Jesus set that pattern for us. He set us that pattern. Humility is pride's opposite. It's an antonym of pride. It's the exact opposite of pride. To be humble is the opposite of being proud. That's what God had to do. Humble Nebuchadnezzar. He made him eat grass and turn with the vestiges of an animal for seven years before he restored him back to his regal splendor. We learn a great deal about humility when we just do the opposite of what the Bible teaches us about pride. If we just do the opposite of what he's saying about pride in the Bible, we learn about humility. Part of the key to understanding humility is in this phrase, just do as Christ directs us to do. You know, when he says if he smites you on one cheek and turn the other cheek, if we look at what that actually means, it means don't escalate the argument. Don't stand and escalate it. In other words, sometimes we have to take being rebuffed. Sometimes we have to not get even. We have to remember vengeance is God. God will repay All that men do unto us, we have to give that and turn it over to the Lord. We have to learn that. Those are things that we have to learn. And when reviled, he says, he reviled not again. So true humility is a choice, but that's not a choice. That's a Western idea. You'll get teased and you'll get talked about, but we see where it's tearing apart that Republican Party that pride, that arrogance, that that hardiness that they have. And we see that coming to be because no one submits to the other. It is not something that comes naturally. That's why we need a circumcision of the heart. We need Christ to install a new man. We need for him to give us that regenerating effect, a new heart, a heart to please him, a heart after the Lord where he can write on that heart his laws, his laws of obedience. And that's why he told Joshua that righteousness was imputed unto him. But notice he says, 
if thou will walk in my ways, if you will keep my charge. That's what he told Rehoboam. That's what he told Jeroboam. That's what he told Jehu. He tells all the people, but it's up to them not to get the big head to continue to do what God tells them to do. He told Solomon the same thing, and he endowed Solomon with all the wisdom, yet still Solomon still fell away from God. Solomon fell into vanity and vexation of spirits. So Peter says we must be clothed with humility. Here and again, that lies that metaphor of putting it on, letting it cover us, letting it drape like a robe over us to be covered. This is what people see. They're not seeing our nakedness. If we are unclothed, we're like the Laodicean church. We're spiritually naked and have need of clothing and have need of, of eyesight so we can see our nakedness. We can't realize it. We must put on humility just as we're putting on coat of clothing to go outside. Doing either of these activities is a choice. So, like I said, each day we're endowed with countless numbers of choice. And he says, I set before you life and death. Choose life. Each thing that we choose builds us up or it tears us down. In this phrase, the apostle is reminiscing about Jesus at his last Passover when he clothed himself with an apron and knelt before his disciples, including Peter. And Peter said, you'll never wash my feet. And Jesus was setting an example. He said, he that should want to be the greatest, said he came to be a servant, that we should be servants. John 13th chapter first to the 17th verse. So washing their feet as an example of his mind, his attitude toward them, that's the mindset that we have with one another, that we submit to one another. We'll lower ourselves even to a position of washing one another's feet. We lower ourselves to serve one another. It says he girded himself and performed this act. He wrapped himself, girding with the loincloth, with a robe or a vesture means to wrap it around you, to be girded with something. He had to put it on. He chose to practice this. But the most important thing that we can take from these verses is, is the understanding and the knowledge and the belief and the, and the conviction that this is a choice and it's a choice that we have to make time and time again. This is the path. That's the narrow way. That's the narrow way. That's another way, though. That's a broad way, but that way leads to destruction. We want to choose the narrow way, that narrow path. Peter says, humble yourselves. Remember, as God says, humble yourselves before resist the devil. And humble yourselves, God gives greater grace. He'll give you greater grace. So we can choose to go the right way, and when we do, we've humbled ourselves. God didn't have to do it if we chose to. But now if we put ourselves in a position of doing something opposite, and just like Joseph's brothers, they wasn't humble. They did it. They meant evil, but God turned it to good. See, sometimes our actions achieved the end result but God has to come along and intervene and does a maintenance or his providence have to 
intervene to turn it to where all things work together for good because you didn't learn your lesson in that. So now we have to do this a different way. We have to bring you till you start learning to do it God's way. Till you have to learn to do God's way. Sometime when we don't learn over, over countless numbers of time, God in us break have to end up breaking us or placing us on the shelves. We we're not fit to be that vessel of honor. So that's Christ working in our life, both to will and to do so. Man, how for a short this week I'm looking at myself and I I didn't sometime I don't feel worthy of coming in, opening the door, sitting before teaching. Sometimes I, I don't feel worthy of preaching his word. You know, it, it, you know, you feel so insignificant, so filthy as Joshua did. I, I could see Joshua standing there in his life just like Isaiah was. That He took that coal and put it on his tongue and purged him and changed him before he could go before God. After he did this, God purged him. And he said, who'll go for me? He said, I'll go. See, because before the end, we're not worthy to go. That's what happens when a man puts himself in a position to go, and he's he's self-ambitious, he's self-driven. God has the sinners. How can one go unless God sent him, unless he give him a message to take? How can we run without being called? There be many a go, but only a few chosen. There's a many a false prophet. It's a many a people out there God hadn't sent. But it's a many a people saying this thing is so big, as Moses says, I won't go unless your presence go with me. We can see that we can't pick this 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 rock up, that we can't carry these this load unless God carries it for us. We have to cast it on the Lord. He has to be the one. That goes before us? Is God going, clearing the path? For without Him, I can do nothing. You see, a lot of us proud in heart, and that's the American way. That's the average one, is I can see that. It's pride. That's the problem. It's festered in there. Humility is not a feeling, but a state of mind. Humility is not a feeling, but a state of mind. Wherein a person sets his course to submit to God, regardless of his feelings. It's not a feeling, but a state of mind, where a person sets his course to submit to God, regardless of his feelings. Nevertheless, thy will be done. Not my will, not how I feel about it, because he said, could could this cup, if it's any other way, could this cup pass from me, but regardless of how I feel, I need to do what God says do in this situation. I need to humble myself under God's hand in this situation. There's a, now now this is a terrible hard to do. Paul told us that there's a struggle within the man of him trying to do these things and we fight with this. He says, Lord, help my unbelief, help me struggle in Christ." We read the seventh chapter of Romans how Paul was struggling to do this, that his he seen another law within his members, and that law was trying to bring him into captivity. 
And that's what sin is. We'll be fighting against this the rest of our life. This old man, we'll be trying to put him to death the rest of our lives. He rises up and he don't like to be made look bad. He don't like to be made to look like he don't have good sense. He wants to be smart. You know, a lot of times we don't be in thought of anything or say anything until somebody tells him. They say, oh, I was about to do that. I thought it. Oh, no, don't lie and say, yeah, that's your pride that you don't want to say. Well, I hadn't thought of that. Well, I'm glad you mentioned that. As some people would, that's still, that's grounded and rooted in mind. It's a state of mind. It's not a feeling. That's who they are. That's what they are. That old man has to die. We have to put him to death. And that's why fasting, you know, along the lines, fasting makes us think about where our life-sustaining provisions come from. That's why when he was casting the devils out and the disciple says, why couldn't we not cast them out? Well, Jesus says that kind only goes about out by prayer and fasting because it's something outside of you. You wanted the power and the ability. It's like... Simon, he wanted the power to lay hands on people and do all these things. But he didn't realize that it wasn't glorifying God. He wanted to glorify himself. He wanted this ability to come within him. We have to see that this is something external and that the new man that's created in us, that new man prays and calls to God. That's why we petition the throne of grace in Jesus' name because we're doing it to glorify God. That's what Warnock said, Raphael Warnock said last night. He says, "God, to God be the glory. To God be the glory. All these things, he says, we all one in Christ Jesus. Those that voted for me and didn't vote for me, I'm going to work just as hard as for everybody because we in all this, we're together. Stop trying to divide us. We all one. That's what Christ says. There's no male or female, Jew or Gentile. We all pulling toward one goal, and that is the unity in Christ Jesus. So these provisions don't come from within ourselves, and that's where people lack. Uh, that's where people fail that think they can pull themselves up by their own bootstraps. That independent spirit, we're dependent upon God. That I said, without him, we couldn't do nothing. I can't preach, I can't teach, I can't do anything without you. They are not inherent, but they have to come from outside of us. Even the physical food, water, or air, we do not have anything to sustain us. We dependent upon him, give us this day our daily bread. That he causes the air we breathe. That he, he, he does everything. He's the sustainer of life. And in him we have life. We can't provide anything for ourselves. That's why he says, without me you can do nothing. And until we get to that point, until we get fully dependent upon him, like I said, we're in a bad position and we're in a nation that doesn't teach us that. It's a hypocritical nation. Spiritual provision is from exactly the same source. The necessities that sustain spiritual life and produce the kind of strength that we want to have, the sense of well-being that we desire along with a clear conscience, all of these nutrients, just like physically, I told you a while ago, 
without nutrients, we can't grow, we can't be strong, we can't be vital. Well, without any of these things, without these self-sustaining nutrients from God, we can't be spiritually strong. We won't have spiritual growth. That's why John says, bring forth fruit meets for repentance. So it's not by our own righteousness. It has to be by Christ Jesus' righteousness. His characteristics has to produce this in us because the works of the flesh will not allow these other things because they are carnal things. These things has to come from God. God's the source of all good things. So it's only supplied through and by God. That's why we have to abide in the vine. Unless we abide in Him, if we're broken off, man's going to burn us and cast us in the fire. We have to stay attached to the vine. We have to abide in Him to be vibrant, to be vibrant, to be spiritually strong. They are directly tied to our submission to Him because God gives good gifts to those that are in submission to Him. But He resists the proud. So he exalts. He causes us to bloom just like a tree. We are trees of righteousness that are planted. And if he plants us by rivers of water, that water is his word. That's what sustains us. We grow strong and send out a strong root system that attaches itself to him spiritually, phonetically, through prayer, through working, and through all these things, we do works of righteousness for his namesake. See, through faith, it produces good works. It's not that we're saved by those works, but our faith that has works. You understand? Faith has works. That's what causes us to feed and to do good. Do that which is right. Do that which is just. To love mercy, mercy and to humble ourselves under God. To be humble. Remember, the guests do not enter the wedding hall immediately. Joshua, this was during the time of Zechariah, I think I told you. And they hadn't been building the temple. Cyrus had sent them back some years and years later. I think this was under the reign of Darius. And they hadn't went back to build the temple. That's why God was telling them that it was though that they were earning wages and putting it in pocket. It looked like it had holes in it. Their money was being wasted. They don't look like they was getting anywhere. It's like a bear in a cage. You're walking, but you ain't getting nowhere. You're just pacing back and forth. Vanity and vexation in life. It doesn't seem, life doesn't seem successful. It doesn't have an end point. It doesn't have a glory, a substantial thing because God's not there. But God gave the guests there and, and, and the garments that the wedding wasn't at that minute. He provided the garments, but they had time to clothe themselves, to properly dress themselves. So the clothing that they had to put on, they had time to dress themselves. God has given us time. That's why he hadn't come back to scorn and says, where's the promise of his coming? And it says, God's not willing that any should perish. God's been good to us. And a lot of us are are, are hoping, we're we're looking forward to the day of the Lord, but we know 
that we still have things we have to pull off, that we hadn't achieved a high calling in Christ Jesus. We're working, and that's why I say I'm deficient in a lot of areas. I, I see myself as being deficient in that I need more. I, I need to work harder, and I need God's Spirit to help me to be more fruitful, for, for God's Spirit to give me that boost to, to continue to be filled with the Spirit. I'm continually trimming my lamp putting oil in my lamp. Now, I'm still saying garments is a token of righteousness. And you remember the relationship Jonathan and David had, King Saul's son? And Jonathan, seeing that David was a good man and that he was going to be king someday, and as a token, and you remember I say some things show a stand for something, is metaphoric for something, uh, uh, works as a, a, a symbolism or allegory in the 18th chapter of in 1 Samuel the 18th chapter the 3rd through the 4th verse it says then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul and Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was upon him and gave it to David and his garments even to the sword and to his bow and to his girdle he gave him, he was the king's son, and he gave him, gave all this to David. And this was a symbolic of a covenant that was made between the two of them. He rode David with his garments, signifying a covenant. And David, that's why David later on when he was making a king, he looked and he found Mephibosheth, one of Saul's, Jonathan's sons, that was crippled and he said Mephibosheth would sit at his table for the rest of his life because of the covenant between him and Jonathan. Have we made that covenant with God? Have we stripped ourselves of what we had on and put his garments on covered with the clothing that he provides for us? The king provided the clothing for these people at the wedding that all they had to do was put off what they had washed and cleansed themselves. But notice it says the king and Zechariah says he was going to take away their iniquity. God takes away our iniquity. He washes us our sins. He don't leave us the way we are. He washes us in his word. His word washes us and cleanses us. Uh, God's a provider of the poor. Deuteronomy the 10th chapter 10 through the 17th verse says for the Lord your God is a God of gods and Lord of lords a great God a mighty and terrible God which regardeth not the persons nor taketh reward he doeth execute the judgment of the fatherless and the widow and loveth the stranger in giving him food and raiment God provides all these things the book of Matthew 6 chapter 22nd through the 34th verse no man can serve two masters. I'm not going to read this whole thing. But God provides raiment, and he provides for the fowls of the air. For they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather in barns. Yet your heavenly Father do it feed them. And are we not much better than they are? Which of us, by taking thought, can add one cubic to his stature? And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they toil not. Neither do they spin, yet I say unto you that even Solomon, all his glory is not arrayed for them. So wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which is today, and 
in which is which today is and tomorrow is cast in the oven, shall he not shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? As I said, that there's a bigger meaning underlying there that God's gonna provide the way. He told Abraham, he says, Touch not the son. God had provided himself a sacrifice. There's a lamb in the bush. There's a ram in the bush. Take it and sacrifice. God provides. God's not going to command us something to do that he hadn't made provisions for us to do it with. God had given us the means and the way. That's why I was thinking about the sacrifice of Cain and Abel. And it wasn't what they were sacrificing. It was the attitude. You remember I said the state of mind and the feeling? And he told Cain, he says, Why is thy continence wroth? If thou doest well, that sacrifice will be accepted. So he wasn't right with his brothers. It was his state of mind with his brothers, the way he was dealing or wanting to deal with his brothers. Shortly thereafter, he killed his brother. In the book of Matthew, we see where God says, Jesus says, before, if you consider in coming to the altar, the altar to offer your gift, first go get right with your brother, then come get, give your gift. We cannot love God and hate our brother. So these things God's talking about is his righteousness. He says, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. So it is that God that we're looking for and God provides. Let's look at one more before we have to close this down. And because this is the last teaching on do this on this subject, this series. Colossians, the third chapter, fifth to the seventh, 11th verse. It says, Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanliness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry, for which things sake the wrath of God come upon the children of disobedience, in which ye also sometime walked when ye lived in them, which we shouldn't be living in those things now. We should be putting on the new man. We shouldn't be walking as that, because you remember he told Joshua, if you wouldn't walk in that way, if you would walk in my way and keep my charge, he says, but now ye also put off these things, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communications out of your mouth. Watch what you're saying. You remember I said, don't say certain things. Certain things is for the world to say. Well, when you're in the world, you would say those things, but now you don't want those things to come out of your mouth. You, you, that's not becoming of a child of God. It says, lie not to one another, seeing that you have put off the old man with his deeds and put on the new man, which is renewed in the knowledge after the image of him that created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. So, Paul changes the metaphor here to taking off and putting on clothings in Colossians again. We see where in Galatians, we see throughout God's word, it's being clothed in him. And it's a symbol of this imputed righteousness, which God had given us ability. In other words, 
after we're born again, he says, repent and be baptized in Jesus Christ, you will receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Well, that gift, that Holy Spirit, God's Spirit in us, that gives us the ability, the power to become sons of God. But it's a process. He grants us salvation. I told you in that he says salvation would come to the house of the Lord. He says that salvation would come under his people. The 46th chapter of uh, where I was there in the 13th verse of Isaiah says, For I bring near my righteousness, it shall not be far off, and my salvation shall not tarry, and I will place salvation in Zion for Israel my glory. So salvation, that's being saved, that's being delivered from this present and evil world. But it's the bridegroom have draped herself in clothed, granite, fine linen, because why? She had made herself ready by the choices in life she had performed. Paul changes here and says, is it possible that just by thinking about it, the clothing we now wear will just fall off? If we just go around thinking, well, we're children of God. And people say a whole lot of things or whatever. But we must make an effort to disrobe, to pull these things off. It's a fight. That you want to do, you ain't going to want to do. And that you do, you ain't going to want to do it. It's a fight. Paul says in that book of Romans, read that. He says, I thank God through Jesus Christ who will deliver me from the body of this death. You're, you're thinking that old man is killing you. That's your problem. And you can't see that. The Laodiceans couldn't see that. And he says, buy of me that you may be able to be clothed in fine raiment and that you have your eyes anointed with eyesight that you may see and that you may be able to hear that your ears will be opening to hear. Spiritually, these people are sitting in the church and are going to hell. They are passing away because of their pride, their self-centeredness, that they hadn't pulled off the old man. God had made a provision there. They were at the wedding. They were at the wedding rehearsal. But this guy says, how did you get in here without this robe on? That's because you didn't pull off the old man. You couldn't. You can't put on the new man without putting off the old man. You can't serve God and mammon. You can't it's impossible. You the love of the world is the hatred of God. You can't do both. You can't please the world and please God. On the other hand, we have to choose what clothing we will wear in its place or we will be or uh, this house that 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 were clean and swept. You had to put something back in the house. If you didn't put Christ in the house, all of those demons and more of us will come back in. We have to make an effort to put Christ on. We have to do this. These things are so clear, but do we see that we cannot just stand still? Growth in terms of salvation is not something that just happens because we receive the Spirit of God. It is something that is caused to happen. Spiritual growth comes by the watering of the word and the doing of the word. We have to apply that to our lives, the applicability of the word to our lives. You have to be a doer, not just a hearer of the word. 
You could sit here and hear what I'm teaching, I don't know, year in and year out, and not be a doer of the word. Putting on Christ. Second Corinthians 7 and 1. 7 and 1 says, Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Does that sound like some work that you're doing? Doesn't it? Now amplify. I give you three different verses to read this in, and it comes at you three different ways, and this is work. It says, Therefore, since we have all of these great and wonderful promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, completing holiness, that is, living a consecrated life, a life set apart for God's purpose in the fear of God. The living version. It says, having such great promises as these, dear friends, let us turn away from everything wrong, whether of body or spirit, and purify ourselves, living in the wholesome fear of God, giving ourselves to Him alone. So this, let us cleanse ourselves, has two aspects to it. It has two different aspects to it. These, The first the negative side of it. The negative sides involve putting off the carnal characteristics of the kind mentioned in Galatians. You remember I told you in Galatians is the works of the flesh? These are what we have to put off. Now, uh, I gave the Amplified and the Living and the King James. The Living, let me, because I don't have much time here. The Living says... But when you follow your own wrong inclinations, your lives will produce these evil results. Impure thoughts, eagerness for lustful pleasure, idolatry, spiritualism, that is, encouraging the activities of demons, hatred and fighting, jealousy and anger, constant effort to get the best for yourself, complaints and criticisms, the feelings that everyone else is wrong except those in your own little group, and there will be wrong doctrine, envy, murder, drunkenness, wild parties, and all of that sort of thing. Let me tell you again, as I have before told you, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. The King James reads, Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanliness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, immolations, wrath, strife, seditions, hearsays, envyings, and such like of which I tell you before, if I also have told you in time past that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. That's the negative aspect of those things of cleansing the flesh. We have to put all those things away. We have to pull off those things. Stop doing them. Put them away. Let them not be once named among you. Now, I tell you, it was two aspects. The second, there's a positive side of putting on godly characteristics, such as judgment and mercy and faith, which our Savior Jesus Christ out of his own mouth said in twenty-three Matthew 23 and 23 were the weightier matters of life. He said, you tithe and you give tides of mint, anus, and cumin, but the weightier matters, he says, these you ought to have done, but the weightier the matters of, of, of the law, mercy and justice, 
you should have also done those two. Those were the weightier matters of the law in which they didn't do. The new man conducts himself according to God's word, walking according to his law. That's what Joshua the high priest was called to do. That's what we're called to do, to walk in his ways, walk in his laws. And that way we can rule his house, we'll rule and reign with Christ as priest of God, as kings and priests of God. With this in mind, notice Romans 13, 12 through 14. It says, Paul tells us how we should walk. He says, we who have put on Christ, that is the new man, therefore let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in licentiousness and lewdness, not in strife and envy, but put on Christ. This only emphasizes our conclusion. The new man is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Colossians one twenty second. The second man, the Lord from heaven, 1 Corinthians 12.47, is the new man. Heavenly Father, as we come before you this afternoon, Lord God, we ask you, Lord God, to help us to put on the new man, pull off the old man. Help us to be clothed in your righteousness, Lord God, as we pull off our righteousness, which is like filthy rags, Lord God, and put on your righteousness, to be clothed in your righteousness, to keep your command and your charge and to walk in your way, Lord God, so that we can rule and have reign in your house and be in charge of your house and be as a bride for the groom without a spot or blemish, but washed and wearing clean white linen. And in Jesus' name, linen, and in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.